Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here. If this is your first time at Ridgeline, my name's Ryan. I'm lead pastor here, and it's awesome to have uh, everybody with us. We are going to jump back into Paul's letter to the Philippians, which if you uh, have not been with us, we've been uh, making our way verse by verse uh, through this letter. And uh, if all goes according to plan, I think we just have this week and next week, and then we will be done with Philippians. And uh, it's been a huge encouragement to me. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. And I hope and pray uh, that it will be again this morning. So I want to start. uh, I wonder if you have ever received um, an unexpected invitation from an unlikely source. So maybe someone invited you to something and you were like, well, I didn't expect the invitation in general. And I certainly did not expect the invitation to come from that person or from that place. Uh, This happened to me, uh, I was thinking about it this week, in 2005, uh, right after Tammy and I got married, I took my first full-time pastorate as a worship pastor uh, just outside of Chicago. And uh, we'd left the church that we'd been at for the entirety of our relationship together. We'd been there for about five or six years. And so we were further away from really important relationships to us. And it was a hard time and tried to get settled. And we had just gotten married. And so one afternoon after, I think we'd only been gone a, a few weeks, I got a call from one of the pastors at this church who I was friends with, but we weren't like super, super close. His name was Dave. And so he calls, he goes, uh, hey, mate, he's British. And that's as good as I can do with the British accent. It's sort of, it's always like slightly Australian. It's just not good, Okay. <laughs> So he calls and he goes, uh, hey, can you meet me in a couple hours? Because I've got a, an extra ticket and I want you to come see U2 with me at the United Center, which U2 is one of my favorite bands. Uh, the United Center is an amazing place to see them. And I was bl- I'm also quite confident that all of his other relationships had fallen through for some reason. Because I had to be so far down the list for this invitation, especially to go see U2. And so I was just so shocked that I got this invitation from this guy who I was, again, friends with, but not like super close to go see one of my favorite bands. And we had amazing seats. It was an incredible night. It was awesome. But sometimes we experience these invitations in unlikely places. And I was thinking this week about how true that is, how it's especially true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. I think one of the most important biblical realities that we have to constantly work to wrap our heads and hearts around is that Jesus is in everything. And when I say he's in everything, I don't mean in like the kind of new agey way where like Jesus is a tree and Jesus is a bush and everything is God. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about how he is working in and he is present in and he is working in the midst of every single thing that goes on in this world. There is no 
single situation in your life or in this world in which God's just sort of like sitting back at a distance watching the whole thing play out. Somehow, in some way, what we just sang, he's working in the midst of it. And because Jesus is in everything, we are always being invited to something. So in every single trial, in every season of blessing and joy, in every season of hardship, in all of our confusion, in everything that's going on in the world, because Jesus is present in that, we are always being invited to something, which means that our task as followers of Jesus is really about learning to discern the answer to a very important question. And that question is, what is Jesus inviting me to in this? And the this is going to change. So maybe there's some relational turmoil in your life right now. Maybe finances are tight. Maybe you're struggling in some area of mental health. Maybe like many, many, many people in our culture right now, there's an aspect of your faith that you're really struggling with. You're experiencing some degree of what more and more is being called deconstruction in your life, where you're not sure what to think about certain things. Jesus is present in that. And so your task in the midst of it, my task, our task in the midst of it is to discern the answer to this question, what is Jesus inviting me to in this? Because we are always being invited to something. And so as we come back to Paul's letter this morning, I think that we see two uh, invitations, divine invitations from God through Paul's writing in these kind of unlikely places. That as we make our way through these verses, it would be easy for us to pick out certain things, but I I think that there's something we're being invited to in the midst of it. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes this morning looking at these two divine invitations in unlikely places. All right, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to pick us back up in verse 2. So if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read on, you can Open that up. All the text will be on the screen as well. But Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 2. And here's the first invitation I think we see in these opening verses. Uh, The invitation is this. Welcome conflict, which most of us don't do. Welcome conflict as an invitation to extend grace. Welcome conflict. So again, that's an, an unlikely invitation, but we can welcome conflict as an invitation from Jesus to extend grace. Let me show you this. Look with me at verse 2. Paul says, I urge Euodia. Not a lot of parents are naming their daughters Euodia these days, but some of you are pregnant. I'm just saying, kick it around if you haven't made a decision. <laughs> I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So this is one of these points in uh, Paul's letters that, that is very common, where he starts to greet people individually. And I think sometimes because of these personal greetings, which it's great, they're a reminder, this is like a personal letter that Paul wrote. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's not just like spouting off these deep doctrinal thoughts. He's writing to a specific group of people that he cares for and loves and wants to see Christ's image formed in them. 
And we know because he greets these people personally. But sometimes we read these personal greeting, we just sort of like check out. Well, I'm not Euodia, so this isn't for me. And we don't really pay attention. But the truth is, what we have here is we have these two women who were um, prominent leaders in this early church in Philippi, and they're experiencing a problem that's common to all of us, which is relational conflict. So we have no information about what happened or why, but what we know is that these two women who were friends and who were serving Jesus together in Philippi and had partnered with Paul, for some reason, in some way, they experienced this relational fallout. And so Paul brings this just like pretty basic urging challenge to them, and he asks them to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. Now, I wonder if you've noticed, have you ever thought about how there's like a few basic lessons that we learn in childhood that go on to become like the foundation of our adult lives? Hopefully, we continue to learn, like we don't stop in like third grade, and like I know everything that I need to know at this point in my life. But the truth is, especially when it comes to relationship and so much of life, there's these few basic lessons that we learn early on that become the foundation of our relationships all the way up into adulthood. And so, like, I think about how many times uh, in the course of a week I help talk to my kids and raise my kids in this relational dynamic of how to deal with conflict. So over and over and over again, in every single week, I have to say something to one of them like, hey, you need to apologize for striking your sibling. And then they say, I'm sorry. It's always very heartfelt and just makes your heart swell as a parent. And then you have to say to the other, all right, now say, I forgive you, because what I don't like, this is a personal thing for me. I don't like it when we are, and this is true of adults too, when I apologize to someone and they go, oh, it's okay, because that's not biblical forgiveness. And to just say it's okay is not true, because it's not okay that we don't love one another and that we hurt one another. So I'm kind of like, you need to apologize, I'm sorry, say, I forgive you, I forgive you. I have no idea if it's accomplishing anything, but... These are the things that we begin to hopefully form in our children at a young age. And the truth is, Paul's doing the exact same thing here with these two adult women. He's saying, agree in the Lord. And I think that that little, he doesn't just say agree. I think it's significant that he says, agree in the Lord. Because I think what that does is it places their hurt, and for us, it places our hurt in the proper perspective. Now, for sure, something real had happened in this relationship, and the hurt mattered. The hurt mattered to Paul. When we have fallout in relationship, when we experience conflict, it's usually because there has been some amount of actual real hurt, and the hurt matters. He's not just saying, get over it and move on. Who cares about it? Stop being a baby. But he is placing the hurt in its proper context. He's telling them that their relationship as sisters in Christ was more important than holding on to the hurt. And I think that this is something that more and more in our Christian culture today that we are really at risk of losing. You've heard me say this before if you've been here, but like we, we are like the church of all that matters is that we're right. And I think that Jesus calls us to something that's so much deeper and bigger than just merely being right. He's called us to love one another, to live in harmony with one another, to pursue unity together. 
to have differences and to hold differences in a way that promotes unity and relationship and friendship. And that really, really matters. So the hurt that we might have, and I might, my, we have hurt in this room. There might be people in this room right now that you're like, I'm not going to look that way because uh, especially if you're married to the person, you're like, I got some hurt toward you right now. So listen, it's not that that hurt doesn't matter and it's not that it's not real. But I just think there is little that is more tragic than Christians choosing hurt over harmony. And that's what we have a tendency to do too often is I'm going to hold on to this hurt over working through it and pursuing reconciliation and pursuing harmony. And I want you to notice Paul doesn't just say, get over it. Look again at verse four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, one way to read that would be that this is like a change in thought where now Paul's talking about something else. All right, you guys, you two work out your thing and then everybody else rejoice a lot. But I think that these are, these are connected. I don't think he's moved on to a new frame of thought here. He's telling them in conjunction with what he's talking about with relational harmony to rejoice in the Lord. And so could it be that rejoicing in Jesus roots us in the constant reminder of the grace that we have been shown? And the truth is, you can't embrace grace and not extend it. And so maybe the reason that Paul says, man, rejoice in the Lord. You know the primary reason we rejoice in the Lord? It's because we have been shown grace, undeserved favor. How bonkers is it to embrace that grace and go, no, 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 but not for you. But that's what we do. When we refuse to reconcile, when we've refused to forgive, we go, hey, God, thank you so much for forgiving me, even though I don't deserve it, but not that guy. I'm not gonna do that. That doesn't work. And so Paul points us to like, man, rehearse grace. Be reminded of grace because as we rehearse grace in our minds, as we rehearse grace through our praise, it forms grace in us. And we become people who are known for our graciousness. And then I love how Paul ends this little section by saying the Lord is near. Because again, that's like, well, that's just out of nowhere. It's not out of nowhere. Paul right there is going, hey, hey, don't forget Jesus' number one, his presence is with you because he promised to never leave you and never forsake you. Like he is there and he is coming again. And I don't think that Paul says this in order to, to shame us in the midst of this hurt that we're prone to harbor. But I do think there's this like sort of subtle, Paul is like a master in subversive writing. So I do think there's something subversive in this where he's going, hey, none of this is gonna matter when you stand before Christ. So why hold on to it right now? So Jesus sees it. How awkward is that? They're like when we have conflict in our relationships and we're kind of standing back to back and we're not gonna press into that, we're not gonna work through that, we're not gonna make that okay. Jesus is right there going, I don't love this. And so Paul is calling these two women, and Paul would call us, and most importantly, Jesus would call us to this very specific, unlikely invitation that we would welcome conflict, not because it's comfortable, 
not because it's enjoyable, but that we would welcome it as an invitation to learn to extend the very grace that we have been shown by Jesus. So rejoice in the grace that you have embraced, extend it to those who hurt you, and then keep Christ's bigger picture front of mind. And I love the way in the message, Eugene Peterson translates this last sentence. He says, iron it out and make up. Just like that same thing that we heard as kids. Hey, work it out, make up. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. What Jesus is doing in our midst is so much more important than these little infractions that we commit against one another and we get so hung up on. But let's move forward together because there's a bigger thing that God is doing in this world through our relationships. Amen? So that's, that was like four of you. It would have been a great place. I even like, even when I tee you up for an amen, we just still are like, nope, not going to go for it. All right, so that's, that's invitation number one. Welcome conflict is an invitation to extend grace. Here's invitation number two. Welcome worry as an invitation to deeper relationship with God. Welcome worry as an invitation to deeper relationship with God. Look at verse six. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing I want to say right out of the chute is that Paul here is addressing just general day-to-day worry. He is not talking about an anxiety disorder, okay? And we have done a great disservice to people who struggle with psychological disorder by going, hey, the Bible says don't worry. Oh, cool. I felt only it was that so, just that easy to go, oh, I need to stop doing this. But when you have an anxiety disorder... You have an inability on your own to stop in the same way that if you have cancer and I look at you and go, hey, stop having cancer, you don't have the ability to do that. And so it's very important that we have framed in our, and we have many people in our church that struggle with varying levels of mental health disorders. And so it's important to say that so that you do not internalize this in a way that further beats you down in the midst of an already discouraged season of life that you may be in. So an anxiety disorder was outside the purview of what Paul was talking about here. He's talking about just the day-to-day when we get worried about a job interview or something that is going on at work or something that's happening in our home or something that's going to happen in the future, just that day-to-day worry that we all experience. Now, worry is what happens when we obsess about a future that we can't control. So if you've wondered, like, well, what does it really, if you really break down, what does it mean to worry? It's that. It's obsessing about something in the future, which the future in general is not something you can control, but it's about obsessing over a future that you cannot control. And so the reason that we worry is it gives us this, like, sort of weird, false sense of control. Like, we have this internal understanding, like, I can't do anything to alter this, but, but the worry gives me, like, something to hang on to. But the truth is, worry poisons us. And I, I think there's at least, if not more, but there's at least two general problems with worry, two general ways that it poisons us. And the first one is physical. Worry ruins you. It wrecks you physically. 
Because here's what worry does. Worry activates your uh, sympathetic nervous system. And your sympathetic nervous system is what activates what is called your flight or flight, uh, fight or flight response. And so worry activates that part of your nervous system. And you get really, really worked up, and it's why you start to breathe shallow. You start to feel your heart beat faster. You can feel your body temperature rising. It's because when you worry, it is activating your sympathetic nervous system. And your body releases cortisol, and then hormones boost your blood sugar. And when there is not physical activity to burn all of that off, then it has horrible, horrible implications in your physical health. Um, you can just Google like the effects of worry in your life. And I read an amazing article just on WebMD this week about the effects that it has on us. And it just destroys you. A few things is that, you know, it can actually uh, suppress your immune system. It can uh, ruin your digestive system. It can uh, cause heart attack. And if it's unaddressed, it oftentimes leads to depression, it can lead to suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, all of this from worry. And oftentimes, it's the day-to-day -day worry that goes unchecked that can eventually grow into a disorder that feels very much outside of our control. And so worry just destroys us physically. But you know, another thing that it does, and I think we see this specifically in Paul here, is that it's very problematic relationally, specifically in our relationship with God. One of the instructors uh, in the spiritual direction program that I'm in right now, her name is Summer Gross. She was uh, teaching a couple of weeks ago when I was in Ohio, and she said this sentence that I can't forget. She said, all relationship occurs in the present. Think about that for a second that all true relationship occurs in the present. Meaning that if you are with someone, and how many times does this happen to us? And you are like hung up on something that happened yesterday or something that happened in your past, or you're thinking about something that's gonna happen next week, or you're on social media and like not present, right? You're not relating. You might be physically together, but you're not relating in that moment. All relationship occurs in the present. And so when I worry, I am living in the future and I am robbed of the ability to relate in the moment, both with people, but most specifically for our context here with God. And so what does Paul do? Paul calls us back to the present moment. That's why he calls us to prayer. He calls us out of this obsession with the future, and into the present where we are communicating with God about what it is that we are worrying about or that we are anxious about. And, and the more time I spent with these verses this week, I just kept coming back to how much this is an invitation to time with God. And I think this is where the rub is for us. We, we want to be able, when we're like, when we're in a worry spiral and we're like freaking out about something in the future, we want to like, we want drive-by prayers to be enough. God, I'm anxious. Give me peace. And we want that to be the end of it. But that's just not how we work. It takes time. And so if you're here and you're like, well, you know what? I was worried and I, I threw up a prayer to God and I didn't feel his peace. Maybe don't stop praying till the peace comes. Sit with him longer. 
Talk to him more. Don't stop praying until the peace comes. It will take time. Now, I want you to notice here uh, also that he doesn't just talk about uh, worry in the context of prayer, but then he also moves in to how our minds play into this as well. Look at, as we finish up at verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, here it is, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is basically like Paul, Paul has this habit as a writer. It's very cool in these New Testament letters how we get to see the various personalities come through. And so Paul's like a list guy. So he just starts to throw a bunch of synonyms out, and he's just trying to say, like, think on things that lead to your flourishing. That's essentially what he's saying in this list here. It's like, think about the things that cause you to flourish spiritually, which is pretty interesting because where we focus our thoughts directs our feelings. And so when we are experiencing what, again, I would call a, a worry spiral, it feels like that sometimes, right? Like you just like, you can't, I woke up this morning and I was feeling kind of worried and kind of anxious and I was having a hard time focusing and, and I just felt like, I was like stuck inside of this tornado and sometimes worry feels like that. And what's important in addition to praying and talking to God in the midst of that is that more and more we learn to direct our attention at things that cause us to flourish. And the truth is we tend to focus so much of our attention on things that fuel worry rather than fill us with peace. And we have to see how we have some degree of responsibility in that. I think one of the greatest challenges that we face as a culture is our access to information. Like I, 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 I hear people all the time talk about how the world is just more messed up than it's ever been. Mm, I don't know about that. Read history. It's always been pretty jacked up. The difference is we live in a point in history where for the first time ever, we have to hear about it and see it and process it in real time. Like there was a day and an age where like you didn't barely know what was happening outside of like your town. Now we know what's happening in Afghanistan, thousands of miles away. We know that there's a massive problem there. We know that just this week, there are Christians who have been murdered for their faith in Jesus. We know about that. And on the one hand, it is a blessing, I guess, that we're better informed about what goes on in this world, but it's really something significant that most of us have never been taught how to manage. And so we are just constantly blasted by this fire hose of information of every bad thing happening at every place on the planet. And I do not believe that the human soul was designed to be able to process all of that. And so as a result, we live with a much higher degree of worry and anxiety than probably at any other point. And so it's so important that we learn to direct our thoughts. What am I going to think about? Because where you focus your thoughts has a tendency to direct your feelings. Now, as I look through these verses, I, I, I notice, and I wonder if you notice, do you see a theme that Paul's writing about? The theme is peace. 
If you think about those first couple of verses with these, this conflict between these two women, what he's after there is relational peace. And then he talks about worry. And again, he mentions the peace of God. And then he talks about where we direct our thoughts. And again, he comes back to peace. Peace is this theme that runs through these verses. And so really what we're being invited back to is what we were created by God to experience, which is peace. Knowing that he is with us, knowing that he is in control, knowing that he is working for our good and his glory in all things. The problem is, peace may just be one of the most elusive experiences to have in this life. How often do you genuinely feel like at ease and at peace? I mean, even when I'm asleep, I think I'm stressed most of the time. It's very elusive. And so just by way of practical application this morning, I just, I want to, I want to share five ways to position ourselves for peace. Okay. This is peace that comes from God and Our role is to position ourselves to be able to experience this gift that God does want to give us, which is his peace. So just some practical points on how we can position ourselves to be receptive to the peace that God desires to give us, okay? Here's number one. Number one is pursue peace in relationships. Nothing robs my life of peace more than conflict in my relationships, knowing that like we're not good. I can't stand the way that that feels. It makes me so anxious. There's all kinds of reasons for that that I'm constantly having to to take before Jesus. But but relational conflict robs us of peace. If you've ever had conflict in your marriage, there's just, it's not a happy way to live. Even if it's something small, something silly, something stupid, something that might seem insignificant. If there is conflict in relationship, it robs us of peace. And I've noticed that we tend to have two ways in which we respond when there's conflict, okay? Now, some of us are wired up in a very combative way, and so when there's conflict, we run at one another. No one likes you, okay, dude? No one likes you. When you come and you're like, let's do this right now, in the living room, we're gonna have this fight. Running at someone is not super effective, It might help you like bowl them over and that might be the way that you've learned to cope and to get through life is to just run over people, but it doesn't actually accomplish reconciliation. But some of us are not the kind of people that run at others in conflict, we run away. And so maybe you grew up in a home that was like, everything just gets brushed under the rug. We never talk about anything. We're gonna feel really awkward today and then tomorrow we're gonna forget about this and it'll be fine problem is that doesn't actually work. And so the answer is not to run at, it's not to run away. I would argue that it's to run toward. And running toward is not the same as running at, because when you're running at someone, you just want to run over them. Running toward them is motivated by this desire, like, I want us to be okay. If I've hurt you, I want to own that. I want to take responsibility for that. I want to ask that you would forgive me in that, and I want to do better at loving you. Running toward on the other end means like, man, I want to be a person who extends grace, even when it's not deserved. I want to be a person who applies forgiveness in my relationships. So the first way that we position ourselves for peace is to pursue peace in our relationships. Don't run at, 
Don't run away. Let's run toward and work things through in our relationships, okay? That's number one. Number two is this. Adopt daily centering prayer. Adopt daily centering prayer. This is specific in our management of worry in our lives. Now, centering prayer is a form of prayer where you uh, sit silently, typically, for anywhere between five and oftentimes 20 minutes, and you're praying really just a singular word or a singular line. And you're being very mindful of your breathing as you do it. And so it can feel very monotonous because our minds are prone to wander, which is why. So the way I practice it is as I do my, my morning reading, like if I'm in one of the Psalms, I, I look for one word or one phrase that resonates with something that's going on. And I use that as my prayer for, again, a five to 20 minute period. And here's the thing about why the breathing thing is important. So remember how I said a few minutes ago that when you worry, it activates your sympathetic nervous system. Well, deep breathing activates the other end of that. And that brings all of those other things that get really, really heightened when we go into to, uh, fight or flight. Breathing brings those back down. So it's like a teeter-totter where it brings balance back inside of your heart and your mind. And so it's not just mindless breathing, although that can be very, very, not mindless, but breathing alone can be very helpful in working through an anxious moment. But we are specifically trying to practice what Paul calls us to to here in Philippians 4, which is to come to God, to be present in the moment, and to pray. And there is amazing research that has been done to show the benefits of just sitting with God daily in centering prayer. So pursue peace in relationships, Adopt daily centering prayer. Here's number three. We'll move through these last three quick, okay? Meditate on the Psalms. Meditate on the Psalms. So if you do not have a daily practice of reading a Psalm a day, I would highly commend that to you. They remind us of who God is. They remind us of what he's doing. They remind us of the human condition. They show the full array of emotions and how God is present in them. But just take an opportunity to slowly read a Psalm a day. And that's a way that we can think on these things that lead to our flourishing rather than just fueling worry in our lives. Meditate on a psalm. Number four, this is a super practical, limit social media or quit it. That would be fine too. I know that's really, really hard for some of us to consider in this life, but I think we can probably agree, especially if you're on Facebook. Oh my gosh. Um, Facebook and I are on a break because Facebook is bad for my soul. Uh, and so social media does a bunch of different things. Uh, it can connect us with one another, which is awesome. Uh, social media is a huge way that I learn about like music or movies that are coming up and all that. And so I like that part, but it also fuels comparison with one another and with others. Like the new influencer thing, like influencer moms. I don't know how that became a thing, but like I don't know, I just can't imagine. Or like Tammy and I talk about this all the time. I'm so thankful that when our kids were born, social media did not exist. Because the way that we choose to put our best foot forward, another way to say it would be the way that we choose to lie about the quality of our lives on social media, that's probably the more honest way to word it. It can be very discouraging. Because you look at the perfection that someone is putting forward and you go, well, that's their normal. No, it's not. It's a moment that they might have like beat their kids to stand and smile that way so that they could get this picture. It's not real. 
Life is hard for everyone. Life is messy for everyone. The only difference is whether or not we're honest about it. So limit the amount of time that you spend, especially doom scrolling on social media. Here's the last one. Stay informed, but don't be formed by media. Does that make sense? Specifically news media. Stay informed, but don't be formed by news media. I think one of the ways that the Christian church over the last two years in particular has gotten to the point that it, at, that it is, is that it has been less led by pastors and more led by political pundits. That's one of the big ways we got here. Stop letting CNN and stop letting Fox News pastor you. Let Jesus pastor you. Because that's what will lead to peace and to flourishing the way that God intended. And so here's our big idea as we come out of these verses together this morning. It's this, in every experience is an invitation from Jesus. I believe that with every fiber of my soul, that in every experience we have an invitation from Jesus. Now, I don't know what that invitation is to you right now, but the Holy Spirit does. And so as I think about this theme of peace and these invitations that come from Jesus in these unlikely places, this morning I woke up just thinking about like how much in our lives is working to steal our peace. There are things inside of you, there are things outside of you. So much of this world and so much of our lives is set up in a way that it is warring against the peace that God wants us to experience, which means when it comes to peace, we have to stop being so passive in our pursuit of it, and we need to develop like a battle mentality. It might sound weird to put these two thoughts together, but you have to fight for peace, which caused me to think about The Walking Dead. I'm so glad Dee Dee's back. Her laugh brings me so much joy. She brings me encouragement when you are all silent and don't amen me. Her laughter brings joy back to my soul. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get caught up on The Walking Dead if you've never seen it. It is, uh, it's this like post-apocalyptic show. I'm probably, everybody probably knows the premise of it. Unknown virus breaks out and people start to turn into zombies and it's about the zombie apocalypse. And, uh, but here's the thing I noticed as I was watching an episode this week, there is this like, because the world around them is falling apart and because the world around them is so obviously and overtly dangerous, they live with this amazing sense of vigilance all the time. Because if they let their guard down, they might literally die. And so as much as it might be hard for you to believe, and I, when I think about that, I think, man, it would really serve us well to adopt a similar vigilance in our own lives. Because while our enemies that war against our peace may not be obvious and may not be overt, make no mistake, they are just as dangerous. Which means that we have to fight to experience this peace that God created us to experience. 
And so I wonder, in whatever it is that you're going through right now, I wonder, in the midst of whatever it is that you brought into this room with you, and we all bring stuff into this room every week, what is Jesus inviting you to in the midst of it? And so rather than just sing and go home, I just want to take like two minutes and I want us to just sit in the quiet, which I know that in and of itself can be anxiety provoking for us, but it's okay. This, this might be the only two minutes of peace you experience this week. So let's like take advantage of that. So why don't you just sit back and be comfortable and close your eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. Be reminded that the very Spirit of God is in this place with us right now. And He is a speaking God. And He is a revealing God. And He desires to communicate with us. And I just want you to, to take a moment to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you being invited to right where you're at? So let's take a couple of minutes and you pray about that for yourself and then I'll close us in prayer. as we sit here together in your presence. We acknowledge that you are inviting each of us to something. And Lord, as we sit here, I, I continue to hear these two words of trust and surrender. That by and large, these are the two things that you are always inviting us to. There is some area in our lives in which you are inviting us to trust you. Or there is some aspect of our lives that you are inviting us again to surrender to you. And so Lord, I pray that what happened in this room would not stay here. that you would speak to us when we're together like this, 
that this morning you would speak to us regarding the invitation that you are extending to us. And that when we leave this place and we go back to our lives, that you would help us to put into practice and to do the things that you are calling us to in this space. But Lord, would you give us ears to hear you constantly inviting us in every experience to respond to you in some way. We love you and we thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you love us. And I pray, as difficult as it is in this world, that you would help us to be a people of peace. We love you. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.